the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ready. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob Prince Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 28th and final morning of the month of February in the year of our Lord, 2019. Well, the president walked and the president quite simply declared, sometimes you've got to walk. And that is exactly what the president did. When Kim Jong-un was unwilling to denuclearize, and give up his entire nuclear program and arsenal, and wanted the uh, sanctions, the crippling sanctions levied against his country, his dictatorial communist country by the United States, one of those sanctions lifted simply for de- denuclearizing or, or taking uh, apart uh, one element of his nuclear program, President Trump said, no deal, sanctions stay in place. And the president walked. That is exactly how you are supposed to negotiate. The left is all over this. Last night, this morning, it was a failure. It was a failure. Trump went out there for nothing but a phono op. He knew he wasn't going to be able to get anything done. He failed. He's no negotiator. This is exactly how negotiations, especially with people like Kim Jong-un, are supposed to go. He is not going to, Kim Jong-un, after being brought up in the shadow and with the guidance of his father, Kim Jong-il, who, of course, was one of the most um, reprehensible tyrants uh, of his era, one of the most uh, threatening, one of the most uh, totalitarian, if you will. Uh, Kim Jong-un learned from his father. He's not just going to say, okay, I'm going to take everything down. We're going to be a, we're going to be a fledgling democracy here and we're going to watch the prosperity start to grow. No, he, there's a lot of steps that have to be taken in order to change the mindset of somebody who has been bra- brought up in that mindset and, and brought up in, in that, uh, 
with that understanding and that ideology of how his family and how his country is supposed to be run. So uh, Kim Jong-un said, uh, I'll give up something, but not everything. President Trump said, if you give up, if you won't give up everything, then you get no sanction relief. Have a nice day. And the president is on his way home. And that's how it is supposed to go. No matter how much the left wants to try to critique and criticize this, um, uh, this, this meeting. It was extraordinarily important to try the second meeting between the two leaders. It's extraordinarily important to know that there is diplomacy happening, that there is, uh, there are negotiations that are ongoing rather than the Cold War mentality that we maintained with Barack Obama for eight years with this leader. The Cold War mentality that allowed the missile testing to continue, the nuclear testing to continue. And if you recall, it was the same, the very same American left by way of the media and leftist politicians who said that if Donald Trump becomes president, we're going to have World War III. We're going to have a nuclear war with North Korea. Because of Trump's temperament and Trump uh, and his ego and this and that and the other and Kim Jong-un, this is going to be a big disaster. This is the best diplomatic relationship we have had with this um, adversary, and for now they are still an adversary, that we've ever had. It, it's This is the best that it's been, going back to Kim Jong-il and, of course, in the reign of Kim Jong-un. So uh, this do not view this as a failure. Do not view what happened yesterday in North Korea as a failure. What happened yesterday is a step in the right direction. No agreement reached at this time, the White House said, but their respective teams look forward to meeting again in the future. Summer cut short as reporters prepared prepared to cover a lunch in which Trump and Kim Jong-un with their diplomatic teams, were expected to meet. As peace uh, talks continued, the table set, lunch menu printed, signing statement between the two leaders already scheduled, but the president walked away from that signing um, uh, agreement. He was not going to sign something that was not a good deal. And by the way, I feel as though it's important to point all of this out. There's two major stories today, of course. Uh, one is uh, is the North Korea summit in Vietnam yesterday. The other, of course, is the Michael Cohen circus that came to the Oversight Committee in the House yesterday. I've got plenty of thoughts and audio on on both of those. Uh, and i got a couple of great guests coming up in hour number two. But let me stay with this for a moment. The, uh, the, the other part about this, again, I just feel the need, it, it just seems appropriate to constantly point out whenever the left is is extraordinarily wrong. They said that Donald Trump would get us into a nuclear war with North Korea. We are in a great relationship, or the best anyway, the best relationship, diplomatic relationship we have had with North Korea, as I said, in, uh, in most of our lifetimes. Going back to the, to the Korean War, for crying out loud anyway, which predates my lifetime. Uh, so they were wrong about that, and they were also wrong about this. Yesterday, and especially Tuesday going into this whole thing, Democrats were on Capitol Hill shouting about how Trump is going to sign a bad deal. First, he's going to get us into a nuclear war. Well, that didn't work because we're having diplomatic relations with them. One-on-one meetings between President Trump and Mike Pompeo and his team, along with Kim Jong-un and his team, really, really important. And then secondly, okay, well, they're going to sit down, but then they're going to sign a really bad deal. That's what they wanted you to believe. Going into this thing, that Trump would sign something bad just to make himself look good, to say, look at what we've accomplished, and it's not going to be anything of substance. 
President Trump looked over that signing statement, looked over what and listened to what uh, Kim Jong-un had to say and what his desire was and what would make him uh, happy. And he said, no, not good enough. It's just that simple. You just wonder if these people are going to be ever get tired of being wrong. David Axelrod, along with Wolf Blitzer and uh, Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday, uh, declared that this is what Trump is going to do. He's going to sign something that's a bad deal for the United States solely to make himself look good like he accomplished something, but it will not have accomplished anything. And instead, what does the president do? The exact opposite of that. He walked away, which was the right thing to do. The left just cannot possibly get enough things wrong for their satisfaction. They just have to continue to get worse and worse and worse. So... uh Chairman Kim and myself, we want to do the right deal, said President Trump. Speed is not important. What's important is that we do the right deal in an unprecedented move. And this is very, very important. If you did not hear this already or see this on television, when taking questions from reporters at the joint press conference, a reporter asked Kim Jong-un if he wished to denuclearize. And Kim Jong-un said, yes. In fact, via a translator, he said directly, if I'm not willing to do that, I won't be here right now. End quote. I I can't overstate the importance of that. On an international stage in Vietnam, the dictatorial tyrant of North Korea sitting with the President of the United States, Donald Trump, announced to the international media and the world, I am willing to denuclearize his, my own country. A nation that has built its nuclear arsenal, has continued to test its delivery systems, trying to find missiles that can travel from one continent to another, that perhaps can reach the mainland United States, a nation that has been testing missiles near American territories like Guam, launching countless numbers of them into the Pacific, now because of negotiation and conversation and diplomatic relations with Donald Trump, saying to the world media, if I'm not willing to do that, I won't be here right now. It's a little bit broken, obviously, but that's via translator. That's huge. The president's going to host a press conference sometime today, according to the White House, to explain his decision. Uh, And uh, then I'll be heading back here to the United States. And I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing what he has to say. But I am also looking forward to the apologies. Okay, I'm not looking forward to them because I know they're not forthcoming. Democrat, being a Democrat, being a liberal, means never having to say you're sorry. But I wish we could look forward to some apologies from all of the left who said that Donald Trump is going to sign a bad deal, Donald Trump is going to antagonize and provoke with his own ego, he's going to provoke the uh, uh, the chubby dictator from, uh, from North Korea, we're going to end up in a world war. Donald Trump is doing everything, everything that the left thought he was going to do one way, he's doing it the opposite. Everything. They thought the economy was going to crumble. You remember this, don't you? You remember uh, the the mainstream media talking about how this is all... Uh, the New York Times 
It would, the New York Times said, we are going to sink into a depression when Donald Trump takes over the economy. A depression. Paul Krugman has, 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 has been completely exposed as a fraud when it comes to his knowledge of the economy. Paul Krugman of the New York Times said, we are going to go, to go into a depression. We are enjoying an amazingly thriving economy. Unemployment is going to climb back up to where it was with Bush at the helm. Unemployment is lower than it's been in decades. Unemployment is lower than it's been in history for certain demographics of our population. Our taxes are lower. Our military is rebuilt. ISIS is defeated. All of these things that we were supposed to have so much worse if Donald Trump was elected have, have gone exactly the opposite. And President Trump has done exactly what he said he was going to do. And it's exactly the opposite of what the left wants to see, because it's working. I want your reactions to what you heard yesterday, uh, or what you heard about yesterday from uh, Vietnam and the bilateral negotiation between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Secondly, which we're going to talk about after the bottom, or I'm sorry, after the uh, traffic that's coming, we are going to ha- talk about what happened on the... Uh, uh, in the chamber, I should say, and the House Oversight Committee's hearing with Michael Cohen. Some fireworks, to say the very least, happened there. And again, I think the president is going to come out on top, despite all of these scurrilous allegations made against him and about him by his former attorney, Michael Cohen. So we're going to get into that as well. We are guest-free, and therefore plenty of open lines in hour one. Hour number two, we are guest-heavy. We're going to talk with uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who's going to be a regular guest every Thursday on this program, starting at 10.05, from Oklahoma Wesleyan University, author of Not a Daycare. Then at uh, 10.35, we are also going to talk with Patrick Wood, the author of uh, Technocracy Rising, and now his new book, Technocracy, uh, The Hard Road to World Order. And uh, he's going to be speaking at an Act for America meeting coming up uh, this week, or next week, rather, as well. So I'm looking forward to talking to Patrick Wood. So if you want to get in, hour one is better than hour two. That means dial now at 216-901-0945 on AM 1420. And this station. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob Frantz Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, 924 now, the Bob Frantz Authority does continue. Again, we are guest-free in hour one, so if you've been wanting to talk and you want to respond to what you heard yesterday from Michael Cohen... Uh, in the circus at the Oversight Committee. You can do that now. You can also talk about uh, the president walking away. If you want to talk about just the pod, uh, the party of death, uh, we can do that as well. By the way, did you notice? I, I didn't realize this. I probably should have. Um, but did you notice that there were some networks, including NBC, who absolutely did not even cover the vote to kill well, to vote to kill two, two things, babies, but specifically kill uh, the Born Alive Act that was presented and offered up by Ben Sass in the United States Senate two nights ago. I didn't realize this. I mean, I just assumed they would take their normal approach and, and defend the Democrats, defend the party of death, but uh, they didn't even cover it. If you watch CNN, and uh, not CNN, um, uh, NBC and one other the other uh, uh, mainstream network news um, outlets, you didn't even know that that vote happened. They refused to cover the party of infanticide. They refused to cover the party of death. 
Simply staggering. So anyway, if you want to weigh in on any of those things, of course, uh, this is great to do it in hour number one. We have guests coming up in hour number two. Let's go to the phones as promised, and this is going to be, uh, who's here longer? Joe is in Fairview Park. Hey, Joe, you're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Uh, what the Democrats did yesterday was unforgivable. I Which don't part? care who the president is, Bob. When you have the opportunity to make the world a less dangerous place, you don't undermine your president. You support him. I I, I just said to my wife, uh, look, look, I, look what's going to happen. Kim's going to shoot for the moon. He's going to say, well, let's see if I can get everything. You, you, you almost undermine it to the point where he, he's going to take the chance of trying to shoot the moon and, and get all the sanctions lifted. I think it is so reprehensible that they didn't support him in this opportunity to make the world a less dangerous place. Well, you know what? You're right. Uh, that is exactly what they should be doing. And instead, and not only did they not support him with what he was doing over there, Joe, uh, they, they made a point of distracting and taking attention away from what he was doing over there by scheduling the ridiculous Michael Cohen hearing uh, and testimony for yesterday while the president's in North or in uh, Vietnam talking to North Korea. They, they wanted attention taken away from the progress the president is trying to make to make the world a safer place to denuclearize a longtime adversary whose nuclear arsenal is a threat to us. That's why we have sanctions against them. And, and they wanted not only to not assist him in that, in that endeavor, but they wanted to take away from his own efforts by scheduling this ridiculous hearing in which Michael Cohen sits there. And, and, and we're going to talk more about that, but just the idea that they had Michael Cohen come in for no reason whatsoever, none, other than to take pot shots and character assassinate the President of the United States. That's it. There was no evidentiary value to Michael Cohen's testimony. There was no probative value to Michael Cohen's testimony. He offered nothing that the Mueller report isn't going to find. He offered nothing about Russian collusion. This was, let's embarrass Trump. Let's continue to use our platform, now that we have the, the House of Representatives, to call people up to publicly slander the president. Call him a racist, call him a bigot, call him a con man, call him uh, all of these different things without any evidence whatsoever, without any evidence whatsoever, but just slander him and waste valuable congressional time because the more time we deal with investigation and we listen to people slandering Trump, the less time there is to get anything done that would help the president get reelected. That's their goal. John in Cleveland is next. Hi, John, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, good morning, Bob. I've always morning, wondered John. why the... Why the United States uh, singled out Iraq, Iran, and North Korea as the axis of evil? Why those countries and not any others? Is that a trick question? No. Why didn't they uh, designate Pakistan? Well, Afghan. What about Afghanistan? 
while you're at it. Are there a lot of countries that are adversaries and that are very dangerous to the United States and to world peace? Of course there are. Those three were identified as the axis of evil because they were the most substantial threat at the time that that declaration was made. Iran, by the way, the world's leading sponsor of terror and terrorism, remains that uh, uh, that today. North Korea, by virtue of their nuclear uh, power and their threatening and their um, uh, their posturing and their testing of of weapons, etc., uh, that made them an existential threat at the time, and they still are today. Which is why what President Trump is trying to do to diplomatically disarm them is simply amazing. And Iraq, I think we all know the history of Iraq and the story of Iraq with Saddam Hussein. So, you know, I don't understand. Are you saying are they the only three? No, of course not. They're not the only three that are threats we have to worry about. Afghanistan, who which we've been at war with since early 2002, after 9-11. Uh, Pakistan certainly is a threat. There are threats all over that region, yes. Uh, but uh, clearly North Korea's in, uh, inclusion in the axis of evil, if you will, was very well deserved, as we saw then, and I think we continue to see now. Although, again... The ice is starting to thaw and crack just a little bit thanks to the tremendous diplomatic efforts of the president. More coming up, more of your calls right after the news, which is now on am1420.org. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, 9.35 now. The Bob France Authority continues. Don't forget, coming up in hour number two, we got a couple of great guests. Dr. Everett Piper, who's going to be a regular now, is going to be a weekly guest on this program. He is a tremendously important conservative pundit whose voice is... Um, is uh, beginning to grow louder on the national stage, and we're very lucky to have him. He's going to join us on a regular basis talking about the most important issues of the day. And uh, Dr. Piper, the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, will be by at about 10.05, 10.10 to join us. 10.35 today, Patrick Wood, author of two very important books, who's going to be speaking at Act for America coming up very shortly, is going to be joining us as well. Patrick Wood is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, and his newest book is Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order. You're going to want to hear both of those conversations, I promise you. Uh, you're also going to want to hear this. Uh, previous caller said the Democrats should be ashamed of themselves for what they did yesterday while the president is out there trying to uh, end nuclear war uh, and to uh, de- denuclearize uh, you know, North Korea, a very, very dangerous enemy. He's trying to stop WMDs. And the Dems are employing them, weapons of mass distraction, with this ridiculous hearing yesterday involving Michael Cohen. Congressman Jim Jordan, another regular guest on this program, was front and center in the Oversight Committee yesterday. And he essentially tore into Representative Elijah Cummings, who is the chair now that the Democrats are in power, uh, the chair of the Oversight Committee. When he made his opening remarks, he made sure that Representative Cummings heard him. Mr. Jordan is recognized for his opening statement. Mr. Chairman, here we go. Here we go. Your first big hearing, your first announced witness, Michael Cohen. I want everyone in this room to think about this. The first announced witness for the 116th Congress is a guy who is going to prison in two months for lying to Congress. Mr. Chairman, your chairmanship will always be identified with this hearing. And we all need to understand what this is. This is the Michael Cohen hearing presented by Lanny Davis. That's right. Lanny Davis choreographed the whole darn thing. 
the Clinton's best friend, loyalist, operative, Lanny Davis, put this all together. You know how we know? He told our staff. He told the committee staff. He said the hearing was his idea. He selected this committee. He had to talk Michael Cohen into coming. And most importantly, he had to persuade the chairman to actually have it. He told us it took two months to get that job done. But here we are. He talked him into it. This might be the first time someone co convicted of lying to Congress has appeared again so quickly in front of Congress. Certainly it's the first time a convicted perjurer has been brought back to be a star witness in a hearing. And there's a reason this is the first, because no other committee would do it. Think about this. With Mr. Cohen here, this committee, we got lots of lawyers on this committee. This committee is actually a encouraging a witness to violate attorney-client privilege. Mr. Chairman, when we legitimize dishonesty, we delegitimize this institution. We're supposed to pursue the truth, but you have stacked the deck against the truth. We're only allowed to ask certain questions. Even with that amendment you just told us about, well, Russ is now on the table. You initially told us we can't ask questions about the special counsel, can't ask questions about the Southern District of New York, can't ask questions about Russia. Nope. Nope. Only subjects we can talk about are ones you think are going to be harmful to the President of the United States. And the answers to those questions are going to come from a guy who can't be trusted. Here's what the U.S. Attorney said about Mr. Cohen. While Mr. Cohen enjoyed a privileged life, his desire for ever greater wealth and influence precipitated an extensive course of criminal conduct. Mr. Cohen committed four four distinct federal crimes over a period of several years. He was motivated to do so by personal greed and repeatedly, repeatedly used his power and influence for deceptive ends. But the Democrats don't care. They don't care. They just want to use you, Mr. Cohen. You're their patsy today. They got to find somebody, somewhere, to say something so they can try to remove the president from office. Because Tom Steyer told him to. Tom Steyer, last week, organized a town hall. Guess where? Chairman Nadler's district in Manhattan. Two nights ago, Tom Steyer organized a town hall. Guess where? Chairman Cummings' district in Baltimore. The best they can find, the best they can find to start this process, Michael Cohen. Fraudster, a cheat, convicted felon, and in two months, a federal inmate. Well, actually, they didn't find him. Lanny Davis found him. I'll say one thing about the Democrats. They stick to the playbook. Remember, remember how all this started. The Clinton campaign hired Perkins Coie Law Firm, who hired Glenn Simpson, who hired a foreigner, Christopher Steele, who put together the fake dossier that the FBI used to go get a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. But when that whole scheme failed... And the American people said, we're going to make Donald Trump president. They said, we've got to do something else. So now, Clinton loyalist, Clinton operative, Lanny Davis, has persuaded the chairman of the Oversight Committee to give a convicted felon a forum to tell stories and lie about the president of the United States so they can all start their impeachment process. Mr. Chairman, we are better than this. We are better than this. I yield back. I wish we had 435 Jim Jordan sitting in the United States House of Representatives. That 
is exactly what needed to be said. The entire sordid affair of dragging Michael Cohen up there, convicted liar to Congress, convicted perjurer, was the only intention was to smear and discredit and embarrass and slander the President of the United States. No evidentiary value to his testimony, no probative value to his testimony, just slanderous and salacious value to his testimony, organized, as you just heard, by Lanny Davis, Clinton friend and attorney, and yes, the representative of Michael Cohen, who, by the way, pled Michael Cohen into a longer prison <laughs> sentence than he probably would have gotten otherwise. That one, that, that part is, uh, is hilarious. Sherry is calling us from Olmstead Falls on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Sherry, go ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. Love your good show. Morning. Thank I just wonder if one of the conversations that was going on behind the scenes was perhaps Kim Jong-un, who said to President Trump, you know, I really trust you. I could be nuclearized, but you're not around forever. And what if the next president that comes along is like Hillary Clinton or some of these other warmongers, and I've now denuclearized, how do I defend my country? Um, that's an interesting point. Uh, I hadn't really considered that uh, because, you know, you're right. We are, we know that he's going to be around for the long game because, you know, there's, it's, it's not a democracy. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's in charge for life. He's dictator for life, just like his father was. But yes, uh, our power turns over every four years or at least every eight years, depending. So yeah, I suppose that's possible. Um, I, I'm hopeful though that it's, it's not as direct as that, um, Sherry, because if it is, uh, we're never going to accomplish anything. Nuclear weapons are not used for defensive purposes. Nuclear weapons are used for offensive purposes. Um, if there was somebody who att- was attacking their country, obviously, um, you know, they're going to defend with conventional uh, weapons, depending on the, and I assume if somebody tries to attack them with a nuclear weapon, they want to fire one off before they get destroyed. Maybe that's defensive. But the fact that but but the fact is, hold on. Let me let me finish this thought real quick. Um, He did say at the press conference yesterday, at the end, through the translator, when asked, "Do you wish to uh, denuclearize your country?" and he said, "If I didn't want to do that, I wouldn't be here." So that's a really good sign. I just don't know, you know, where it goes from there. But go ahead. Well, he I either heard or read him say somewhere that um, you know we took. We had uh, Saddam Hussein take away all his nuclear weapons, and look what happened to him. So if that is just even something in the back of his mind, like, you know, I trust President Trump. He's my friend. I trust his negotiation, but he's not around forever. So, you know, I'm just wondering if there isn't some other possibility like that that really hasn't been put on the table or talked about. Yeah, uh, it's a fair question. It really is, Sharon. I'm glad you asked it. Nobody else has asked that. I didn't consider that either, and I think it is worth, worth bringing up. And I thank you so much for the phone call. Um, I think the, I think the comparison to Saddam though is a little bit, uh, of a reach. Um, Saddam Hussein was a very, very different cat, uh, in the way that he, you know, he invaded, uh, another country. He used chemical weapons against his own people. You know, when he invaded Kuwait, that was a game changer. And then of course I'm talking about the Gulf War and it didn't end there just because, well, we went in and liberated Kuwait. But the fact that he, subsequent to that, has used chemical weapons against his own people, indicated that he was a very a, a very much of a different kind of threat. And that's why when ultimately we went into Iraq and got him, um, I, I don't think that can be used as a model, and I don't think it would be a fair comparison for Kim Jong-un to make. 
to say, well, look what happened to Saddam uh, when he got rid of his uh, nuclear weapons, because he still had, obviously, a very a very hefty chemical weapons arsenal that he was using against his own people. Um, Kim Jong-un, for all his bluster, hadn't done that. He hadn't done that. Now, he has tortured his own people. You know, we all know what North Korea is. Um, it is essentially a slave labor state. It's it's terrible for the people there. But in terms of uh, comparisons, he, did, he hasn't invaded any other foreign countries uh, the way uh, Saddam did with Kuwait. He hasn't uh, used chemical weapons against his own people. He hasn't done anything, uh, you know, that is as egregious as that that might lead somebody to suggesting, I wonder if regime, the interest of world safety, world peace, world security, regime change is in order. Nobody has suggested that about North Korea, so I don't know that he would really have, even when the Democrats have been in power, I don't know that he would really have a legitimate claim to say that he fears something like that. But your question is a very good one. I'll, I'll reiterate that. It's a very good one. He may be saying, you know what, if you were around for a long time, Mr. President, we could get this done, but I don't know what the people after you are going to be all about, so um, I'm going to I'm going to maintain the status quo. But the bottom line is this, too. You have to really consider he wouldn't have come to the table if the sanctions weren't working. The sanctions are crippling. They are. Now, I mean, it should be pointed out, of course, that um, there's only so much we can do as it pertains to sanctioning North Korea. For, you know, their, their ongoing missile threats and their nuclear program and so on and so forth. Because China, and this is where our relationship with China is so important too. And President Trump has really, really been working very hard on this aspect. China is still North Korea's biggest benefactor. China is North Korea's uh, largest provider of everything that they need to live. Food, fuel, um, uh, machinery. Uh, their relationship, their, that North Korea is, is China's, or excuse me, China is North Korea's number one trading partner. Roughly 90% of their trade is done with China, so our relationship with China is very, very important as well. If we want China to, you know, come along and help us out on this, um, we're going to have to we're going to have to have some serious negotiations with the Chinese. And I'll be honest with you, that's going to be a lot more difficult, I think, with President Trump or for President Trump than the negotiations with Kim Jong Un are, because China stands to lose a lot. If there, let me put it to you this way. If there is ever unification on the peninsula, meaning if North Korea and South Korea ever reunite to form one unified Korea again, it will be a devastating impact to the Chinese economy. Seoul, South Korea, which would then just be Seoul, Korea, uh, in such a circumstance, um, would be an enormous, enormous economic power and a source of, of tremendous growth or a place of tremendous growth. Uh, in the Asian world, it would really, really be a devastating uh, circumstance for the Chinese. So I'm not sure that the Chinese are going to help us at all when it comes to denuclearizing North Korea, which would be the first step, I believe, towards some sort of unification uh, of the uh, of the Koreas on the peninsula. All right, let me get a quick time out here. We're going to check our traffic again. If you want to get in a phone call, this is a good chance to do it before the top of the hour, because after the top of the hour, Dr. Everett Piper is going to join me to talk about a host of issues, including the Cohen testimony yesterday, the embarrassing display that that was, as well as the anti-science left, the anti-science American left, the science deniers, the ones who refuse to believe that there are only two sets of chromosomes in human beings, XX and XY, women and men, and the intersectionality of trans-America with other 
uh, demographics and identifications in America and what that is doing to this society. It's going to be a really great conversation you're going to want to hear coming up with Dr. Piper at about 10.05 on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after this. Ethos.com. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, 955. Now, short segment before the top of the hour, as always. Dr. Everett Piper coming up after the top of the hour. I want to go back to the uh, House Oversight Committee hearing yesterday. And I want you to listen to just a little bit more of uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, this time not making a statement to the chair, Elijah Cummings, but specifically his questioning of Michael Cohen and pointing out what I think most of us know to be the truth that Michael Cohen turned on President Donald Trump when President Donald Trump did not reward him for years of loyal service as an attorney with a job in the White House. It's been very well known. Michael Cohen wanted to be chief of staff. Chairman just gave you a 30-minute opening statement, and you have a history of lying over and over and over again. And frankly, don't take my word for it. Take what the court said. Take what the Southern District of New York said. Cohen did crimes that were marked by a pattern of deception and that permeated his professional life. These crimes were distinct in their harms, but bear a common set of circumstances. They each involved deception and were each, each motivated by personal greed and ambition. A pattern of deception for personal greed and ambition. And you just got 30 minutes of an opening statement where you trashed the President of the United States of America. Mr. Cohen, how long did... How long did you work for Donald Trump? Approximately a decade. Ten years? That's correct. And you said all these bad things about the president there in that last 30 minutes, and yet you worked for him for ten years? All those bad things, I mean, if it's that bad, I can see you working for him for ten days, maybe ten weeks, maybe even ten months. But you worked for him for ten years. Mr. Cohen, how, how long did you... Uh, how long did you work in the White House? I never worked in the White House. And that's the point, isn't it, Mr. Cohen? No, sir. Yes, it is. No, it's not, sir. You wanted to work in the White House. No, sir. You didn't get brought to the dance. Sir. And now? I was extremely proud to be personal attorney to the President of the United States of America. I did not want to go to the White House. I was offered jobs. I can tell you a story of Mr. Trump reaming out Reince Priebus because I had not taken a job where Mr. Trump wanted me to, which is working with Don McGahn at the White House General Counsel's Mr. Cohen, office. Mr. you work for the sir, president. Sir, one, one second. All right. What I said at the time, and I brought a lawyer in who produced a memo as to why I should not go in because there would be no attorney-client privilege. And in order to handle some of the matters that I talked about in my opening, that it would be best suited for me not to go in and that every president had a personal Cohen, here's attorney. What I see. Here's what I see. I see a guy who worked for 10 years and is here trashing the guy he worked for for 10 years, didn't get a job in the White House, and now, and now you're, you're behaving just like everyone else who's got fired or didn't get the job they wanted, like Andy McCabe, like James Comey, same kind of selfish motivation after you don't get the thing you want. That's what I see here today, and I think that's what the American people Mr. Jordan, all I wanted was what I got. 
personal attorney to the president to enjoy the senior year of my son in high school and waiting for my daughter who's graduating from college to come back to New York. I got exactly what I want. Exactly what you want? What I wanted. That's right. I received exactly what I wanted. A three-year prison sentence. (laughs) <laughs> which is what Jordan uh, began to say there before his time had expired. Um, Michael Cohen called the president a racist. Michael Cohen called the president a, a con man. Michael Cohen called the president a cheat. Michael Cohen claimed that the president never wanted to be president. You know, he's only running for president to establish and to expand the Trump brand, the name, to increase his personal wealth. It was a stunt, he suggested. And then, in the same context... He said the president, uh, well, he didn't say that the president colluded. He stopped short of saying the president colluded with Russia, but he said he had his suspicions that the president was colluding with Russia to do what? To become president. How can both of those things be true? He didn't want to be president. He just wanted to run. And then suddenly he was going to start cheating so he could win and become president? He would cheat and collude? That is how absurd it is to listen to the testimony of a convicted perjurer brought back to the, uh, uh, to the uh, Congress by Democrats whose only goal is not to, to, to find truth, not to achieve truth, not to reveal truth, but to take shots at, to humiliate, to embarrass, and to slander the President of the United States all for the scoring of cheap political points. That is what the entire day was about yesterday. Hour number two is coming up. Dr. Everett Piper joins me after the news, which begins now, right here on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 